we are walking through a series, Signature of the Almighty. We are exploring some of the names of God, who he is, as he encountered people, they recorded a name for him. And we can learn of his character, and we can learn of how to trust him, and we can learn of how to approach him through his names, Signature of the Almighty. Today, we're going to be looking at encountering the I am is peace. Peace. Before we get started, let's make sure we have our background understood, okay? So once again, that history word, here we go. Yep, history. Ready? Okay, so Abraham. Remember we were talking about Abraham and Isaac? That was around 2000 BC, sitting about here, okay? Then we went forward about 600 years to Moses. And Moses, we were sitting here. And he had the story. Remember, we were learning about him last week with prayer. Okay. Now we're going forward another 400 years to Gideon. We're in the time of the judges. Okay. So you would think, you would think, promised Abraham, promised being fulfilled by the time of Moses being led out of Egypt and all the miracles they saw happening, that by now they must have it together, right? Maybe we would think that. But that's not what's going on. In the time of Gideon, the time of the judges, one of the phrases that was used was, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So some of you can finish that sentence for me. So everybody, hold your hand up. You ready? Yep, you're getting sick of the little things, but we're going to learn from it. Ready? Okay, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Okay, one big circle. Let's do it again. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. When you think of the judges, somebody says, what really was going on in the judges? You just go, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. I'm like, that's it. That's what was going on in the judges, okay? And the process went something like this. Everything's going great. So I'll kind of think all about myself. God must not have really had much to do with that. And I start veering off and I start diving down into my own self-absorption. And everything starts to get so horrible that God finally says, that's it. And he comes in with judgment. And in the midst of a period of judgment, they, want, they moan and they complain. And finally they realize, it must be us. And so they cry out, God, help us. And God sends either a prophet or a judge. And they come back to him. And then things are starting to go well. And it started all over again. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Okay? That's the history of where we're at. Gideon's being called in that environment. Things are not going very well, okay? We're going to be looking at Judges uh, chapter 6, verses 11 through 27. Judges chapter 6, verses 11 through 27. The ushers are going to be coming forward. We've got some Bibles. If you do not have a Bible, just raise your hand. We'd love to get one into your hands, okay? We're going to be walking through this passage step by step. So Judges chapter 6, verses 11 through 27. As you're getting caught up with that spot, I'm going to give you just a little bit of the quick background in verses 1 through 10, okay? Here's what's going on. Basically, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Haven't we already heard that? Now, the summary in verse 1 is actually, and everybody was doing what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. You hear the difference? One's from our perspective and one's from God's perspective. And everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes, but it was evil in the eyes of the Lord. And that continued for a good long time. And God finally said, that's enough. And he brings in the nation of Midianites. Midianites. Haven't we heard this name before? Yeah, if you actually look back, remember, we've run into it with uh, Moses, 
He married into the Midianite family. Uh, We actually have heard this name under Abraham. Abraham's second wife in Genesis 25, Abraham's second wife, their first son was Midian. They had a son, Midian. And underneath Abraham became the nation of the Midianites and also the Israelites. And God's now bringing the Midianites to bear on the Israelites. It's time, okay? To be quite honest, God isn't that happy with the Midianites either, but he's using them nonetheless to be bringing judgment on the Israelites. So all this history, we kind of have to have dovetailing down, right? Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. We got the Midianites, who are actually a branch from Abraham, coming in and being used as a part of this. How long did this judgment last? Seven years. Verses 2 and 3 start going into the detail of that. Seven years of these Midianites coming in. Well, what did they do? It says that they were camel riding marauders, basically. They came into war. They took whatever they could of land, of food, of, of animals. They sacrificed any animal they could. They killed any animal they could. They took any crop they could, and it left the Israelites with nothing. Where did they go? To the caves. Seven years they survived in the caves. In the dank, dark rocks with no food for seven years. And finally, they cry out to God. And now we hit verse 11 with Gideon. As we go through these verses, we are going to see Gideon experience I am is peace. So let's just be real careful as we walk into this, okay? I want to make sure that we deeply understand what we're trying to accomplish. Maybe the best way to do it is with a little quick story. There's a boy who wants to be like his dad. He wants to grow up to be one who cuts trees, fells the trees. So he goes up north, he's got his saw, and he's going in and he talks to the boss, the man in charge, and says, I want to cut trees as well. And the boss says, well, got news for you. We don't just do that with anybody. We only take a certain number of people and they have to be very capable. You're going to have to show yourself. Get out there on Monday. Let's see what you got. And he gets out there and he cuts down trees with them all day long. And he actually drops more trees than anybody else. And he says, you're hired. And he works Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. And come the end of Thursday, the boss walks past him and says, you can pick up your check at the end of today. You're done. And he said, I don't understand. You said I was doing really well. And he said, son, you must have started slacking off because you went from first number of trees cut on Monday to last in number of trees cut on Thursday. I don't understand what happened other than you started slacking. And he said, that can't be. I'm working harder today than I was on Monday. And he said, you know, when's the last time you sharpened your saw? Sunday. I've been too busy I've been working. And he said, you've just learned a lesson. Be prepared to work each day. Sharpen that saw every night. That is going to make the difference. As we look at this passage today and we look at what Gideon's got going on, that's exactly the message he's learning. How can I be prepared and sharpened as I meet I am as peace? How can I be prepared to meet this peace and experience this peace in God. Three steps to that, okay? And the first step 
looking at myself through God's eyes. Looking at myself through God's eyes. Okay, that's the first point there. Looking at myself through God's eyes. This is the call of Gideon, Judges chapter 6, verse 11. Let's just walk through it. Now, the angel of the Lord came and sat. The angel of the Lord. Remember how we talked about this a couple weeks back? God himself, visible to Gideon. The angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah. Terebinth, it's like an oak tree, okay? So he's sitting under a tree in a town called Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abiezrite. Okay, the Abiezrites, that's just... uh, a family underneath Manasseh, we'll learn that a little bit later, that's just one of the Israelites, okay? While his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. Okay, here's what we need to hear with that. How would you normally manage wheat? You would throw it out on a very hard floor and you would take oxen and you would walk the oxen across it with a big heavy piece of equipment and you would beat effectively the grain out of it. They would call that threshing, okay? And so when you have a ton of grain, you get oxen. What do we have Gideon doing? Hiding down in a wine press with a stick, beating a few pieces of grain. So when we hear hitting the grain with a stick, we need to say, poor. Okay? So what do we say when we hear this? Beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it. Poor. That's what's going on right now. Gideon is struggling. Okay? We need to be hearing that loud and clear. Food is at a minimum, okay? He is hiding it from the Midianites. So we have a guy who, he's bucking the system a little bit, right? Like, he's hiding and he's trying to find food for his people. He's doing some things of boldness and bravery, at least a little bit, right? Verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Wow. God's pretty complimentary today, right? Hey, at least you're trying something. That's what he's saying. O mighty man of valor, at least you stood up to try to battle. But I got a better plan. Hang on. Verse 13, And Gideon said to him, Please, sir. Now in the, in the Hebrew here, this is a form of that word Adonai, but it's not the form that would say, Master, Lord, you're in charge. It's just a respectful form, okay? So he's sir, okay? Please, sir, I have no idea who you are. I'll treat you a little bit respectfully. If the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Wine, complain. And where are all the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. I don't get it. The Lord is with us. You've got to be joking me. I'm beating wheat with a stick. I'm hiding in a wine press. I'm living in a cave. Are you kidding me? I don't see it. The Lord is with us. Now, if you actually catch it here, he says, and where all these wonderful deeds are, he's looking back hundreds of years to Moses, right? He's not looking back to yesterday or last week. He's looking back to the Exodus. That is what Gideon's tying this God to. Gideon's experience is not personal with God yet. It's coming. Verse 14, and the Lord turned to him and said, knock it off, punk. Is that what he said? Look what he says. Look how patient. Go in this might of yours and save Israel. In other words, didn't hear you whine. Next. 
Look, I'm just going to tell you what I want you to do, okay? Just go, all right? Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? Uh Uh-oh, authority was just used. Gideon's waking up a little bit. Now, you told me that I was to be going because God was sending me. Now you're saying you're sending me. What are you really saying? Verse 15, and he said to him, please, Lord, waking up a little bit, right? Maybe you have some authority over me. Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am in the least of my father's house. Okay, first wine. God's with us? Really? I don't see it happening. Look at everything around me. I don't see God at work. I'm sorry, God is not with us. Okay, fine. Maybe God is with us. I'll lend you that one. Second one. Me? Are you joking? I'm from this little tiny family and tribe, and I'm the lowest in it. Why would you call me? First, I got a problem with God. Second, I got a problem with me. Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. God's got a simple challenge. So he says, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest, the least in the father's house. Verse 16, and the Lord said to him, but I will be with you. Okay, again. I love that. Every one of these, have you noticed this? Every time someone meets God and they say, I'm not worthy, God basically says, you're right. I will be with you. Okay? Right? Isn't that what he's saying? He doesn't say, oh, no, seriously, you got the stuff, man. No, really, I built you for it. You're designed. You're good. Go get it. It's all up to you. Right? No. He says, you're right. I will be with you, though. That is the difference. I will be with you. The Lord says, I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. They're nothing. Not because of you, because of me. And he said to him, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Okay, third doubt. First doubt, God isn't even with us. Second doubt, no way could I be the solution. Look at me. Look where I'm from. Third doubt. Okay, maybe I'm seeing you as Lord. Maybe I'm hearing this authority. Is my perception out of whack? I'm not sure if I should even trust what I'm perceiving right now. I need a sign. Please show me this. And God says, wake up, punk. I've made myself clear. Is that what he says? Once again, total respect and patience. God responds. So Gideon asks in verse Uh, 18 there, please do not depart from me here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And God said, I will wait. I will stay till you return. Utter patience. God could have chastised. He could have browbeaten, but he chose not to. He chose to build a man up. He chose to wait with him and watch him grow. He chose to work with him along the way. You know, as we look at this interaction between God and Gideon, Gideon is wrestling very clearly with seeing himself through his own eyes, right? He keeps looking at everything through the human eyes and he says, I don't see God, I see pain. And I think I'll blame God for that pain, thank you. I'm not going to blame us. I'm not going to blame our response and our sin. I'm going to blame God. He forsook us. Okay. And by the way, if you're asking me to be the hero, I don't even think I got the stuff. I'm from a little clan in nowhere land. And by the way, I'm not even sure if I should begin to trust you. I don't know who you are. 
I better see a sign if I'm going to start being built up. He's beginning to release seeing himself through his own eyes. God's eyes, I've designed you for a purpose, mighty man of valor, and I will be with you. God's eyes, there is no problem big enough that I can't handle. Get ready. I will be with you. How do we look at ourselves when we're struggling with our daily problems? How do we, fa- how do we face these situations we're going into? Do we look at ourselves through our human eyes? Or do we look at it through God's eyes? You know, in the desert, the vultures, they circle up high, right? And as they circle, they're looking for death. They're looking for flesh that's going to become food for them. And as these vultures circle at this high level, looking down on top, their whole vision and focus is on death for themselves. But did you know that in that same area, the hummingbird thrives and survives? The hummingbird, this gorgeous little bird buzzing back and forth, looking for life, flowers, nectar. Its food is seen in the life around them, not in the death. The question for us is, are we the vulture or are we the hummingbird? Are we taking God's perspective, the hummingbird perspective, looking for life and nectar, or are we taking this world's perspective, the vulture? And we're constantly in the complain mode, the upset mode, the disappointed mode, the blame God mode. Where are you at? Today is the day to say it's time for me to be the hummingbird. I need to set aside that negative thinking and I need to start seeing myself through God's eyes. He is with me and he's got a plan. It's not about how great I am. It's how great he is. And as I see my work in this world through him, my whole view changes. Are you ready to let go of the vulture view? It's time. It's time to be a hummingbird. It's time to see God and see him with you and be pumped that he's ready to do work with you and through you and for you and about you and about himself to bring glory. That's what Gideon realized and recognized, verses 11 through 18. He's absolutely amazed and stunned. Second point, recognizing God for who he is. Gideon has just had a bit of a wake-up call, and we're about ready to settle in. In verses 19, we settle. It says, So Gideon went into his house to prepare a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. i got to be honest with you. I passed over this sentence when I first was studying. I was like, okay, whatever. Sounds interesting. I've never had young goat and unleavened cakes, but I guess it was a nice meal. So I did a little bit of studying on it. And uh, just so you know, an ephah is like a full bushel, you know, it's about 60% of a bushel. So picture this bushel basket filled 60% with flour. And then he's going to go and he's going to make cakes. So he didn't make him like three, three unleavened cakes. He made him hundreds of cakes. They're coming out everywhere, right? Now remember, this is the guy who we just saw whacking a little bit of wheat to try to get some grain. 
And now he's taking a full ephah of flour and spending it in this one scenario. He's making this an offering. It's much more than a meal. He didn't just bring him one little leg of the lamb and say, or of the goat and say, here you go. You know, this is some food and I brought you one little cake as well. I hope you enjoy. He brought him the whole goat and hundreds of cakes. He's lavishing upon him. How long did it take to cook that? I'm picturing God hanging out under the oak tree. Like, what is he making? You know, like, it's kind of interesting. Anybody walking by me, you've been here for seven hours. Well, he's making a goat, right? I mean, he's going after it. He's deciding to offer him up the biggest and the best he can. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot. And he brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. Verse 20. And the angel of God said to him, three commands. Take the meat and the unleavened cakes. Put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. Take, put, and pour. And so he did. 21. The angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. Basically, Gideon was asked to set this up as an offering before God. Take, put, and pour. It looks like a giant offering before the Lord. The Lord has taken his staff, and as I heard your ESV Bible's turn, because we all have this, <laughs> it's classic. They have these things so that everybody's flipping at the same time if you're in the ESV. Great. All right. And, and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And fire sprang up from the rock. I can't imagine. Think of what this would look like. So he gets done and he pours this broth all over it. And everything's pretty much soaking wet. And all of a sudden, whoa, flames. And you, and you do one of these, like, whoa. Have you ever seen those when you're lighting something and you like, you put gasoline on like a little bit of a fire because you want to light it faster and you throw it out there and then that thing pops. You know what I'm talking about? And all the guys are like, yeah, we know what you're talking about, right? Yeah, we've done that. And, and you do this step back like, whoa. And then you start laughing because you realize you just had a brush with death. And Gideon was standing there and this thing ignited, not just a flame, but a flame that consumed everything. Gone. And then right after it, the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. So not only did the food disappear, then God himself. Gone. Gone. And Gideon is standing there and he goes, Wow. Then Gideon perceived, what a genius, right? Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. Like, whoa, he must have had some authority and power. Did you see that? That, that was his insight, okay? When he's talking with them and he's seeing the authority, when he's being comforted in the midst of pain, when he's hearing all these things, maybe he's got an inkling. But when everything catches on fire, torches and goes away, and then the angel of the Lord disappears, now, now he's finally woken up. Oh, that must have been God himself. Cool. Uh-oh. Then he says, alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. What's his fear? Exodus 20, verse 19. The people were very well taught that you were not to see the face of God or you might die. You will die. 
Exodus chapter 30, verse 20, or 33, verse 20. Same thing. Moses is told, you will not see the face of God so that you don't die. People are not to just fall into the presence of God Almighty on a normal, natural basis, seeing him fully and wholly for who he is, completely aware of his holiness, and not be destroyed by that. Our imperfection and our unholiness puts us in bad stead to stand before that God, holy, righteous, and just. But there's another side to that story, and God brings it. The Lord said to him, peace be to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. Wow. I thought that when you meet God, that's the end of it. I mean, they got the transcendence part, right? They got the big, ominous, holy, righteous, just, other, separate God. But Gideon is now getting relational, warm, caring, present. I will be with you, God. And in the midst of meeting this God, I am is peace. And he says, Gideon built an altar there in response to this peace be to you. Gideon built an altar there to to the Lord and he called it, the Lord is peace, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The Lord is peace. To this day, it still stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Beazrites. Gideon that day became aware of a holy, righteous God who passionately and compassionately reaches down to us in peace, in peace. Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God. Galatians 5.22, The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. We can have peace in a relationship with God Almighty. He wants to reach out to us in a warm, relational, interactive way. But don't get me wrong. He is not going to be compromised in his holiness and his righteousness. And so as we've said before, we have a God who stands between this tension And on the one hand is righteousness and holiness where payment is demanded. But on the other hand is peace and warmth and love and mercy. And the tension that that puts him at is at the cross. As God Almighty makes a replacement payment available for us so that we can have a relationship with him. Now that is worth being changed over. Now that is worth fighting for. Gideon is getting the picture. It's not just God holy, it's God merciful. It's not just God righteous, it's God loving. And he's reaching out to us. And he's reaching out to Gideon. Recognizing God for who he is. Gideon saw it. It took a lot. It took flaming meat and a disappearance. Hopefully it doesn't take that for us. Three things that we can do. To recognize God, pretty simple. Coming from Gideon's story here. First, pray. Gideon was communicating with God throughout the process here. He's talking with God. Pray. Talk to him. Interact with him. 
Second thing, to recognize God holy for who he is, prepare. Gideon prepared an offering. He prepared to be able to provide something for God to say, you are worth it. Prepare yourself. Offer yourself your time, your thoughts, your focuses, your efforts. Get ready. Prepare them up. And last, perceive. Wake up call. Start looking at God and what he's doing in your life. Try not to be the guy that finally has to say, well, that must have been God. How do you know? Because he flamed everything in existence around me and he disappeared. Let's not be that. How about because he spoke with great authority? Because when I was in his presence, he stirred my heart. Think of the response throughout the Gospels. Surely that must have been God himself, the way I was stirred. Let's get to know him passionately and perceive him deeply. God Almighty at work in our lives. Recognize him. Praying, preparing, and perceiving. You know, uh, this weekend was deer season. Did you know that? Some of you are like, oh yeah. And others are like, I have no clue. what you're This was shotgun season in Illinois. Our family's a huge deer hunting family. Uh, this year was the worst deer season in 28 years for us. Um, you know, my uncle, I told you, got injured, fallen off the um, blind stand um, like two weeks back and ended up breaking his back and his leg. And so He's, he's currently in the hospital and having surgery. So my cousins went there. We, had, we were down to three of us that were up there hunting rather than the eight of us that we usually have. And uh, the deer, they weren't cooperating. Uh, it, it was a strange weekend, I can just tell you that. But I'll tell you, when you work in the office, when you are in and around a town, and then you just go back and you jump in the woods, you, there's a time that it takes. You, you kind of forget what it takes to hunt. Because you hunt with your eyes, but you hunt with your ears. And I'll, you sit down out there and you're like, um, hmm, it's kind of cold, you know? And so you're just sitting there thinking and the breeze is blowing and you're not, and all of a sudden you realize sounds are going on everywhere. And all you've been hearing is one big massive sound of wind blowing. And you're not really picking it out. And if you start listening, you can watch the bird that lands five to 10 yards away from you on the leaf. And you hear it hit the leaf. And then you hear a squirrel jumping through the leaves. And at first you think it's an elephant because they're so crisp right now, you know. You're like, what? It's just a squirrel. Don't worry. Right? As this little squirrel's hopping across the leaves. And you start to hear the rhythm of what a squirrel sounds like jumping through the leaves. And it starts all coming back. And when you finally do hear a deer coming through the leaves and it sounds like a truck going through there in comparison to these things, your ears have been totally woken up to the differences in sounds. You've become a perceiver in the woods. You're not just sitting there. You're perceiving what's going on. And then you can sit there and when you hear the sound behind you, you're like, squirrel. I'll just hang on. There's no need to quick turn and You've gotten to the point where you can perceive and figure it out. That's where we need to be with God. We need to be perceivers in this world, not just hanging out. We need to be seeing his hand at work and being able to say, that was God right there. The Holy One of all holies. 
is working in this life right now. They're touching this person here. They were working in this conversation over here. They were setting up this scenario here. God is at work. See, that's what we need to be able to do, is we need to be perceivers. Because in the midst of that, that's when you can recognize God for all that he is. When you can see his hand and his imprint, and you know, that's God. My prayer for you is that it doesn't take flaming meat and a disappearance, but that it just takes a perceptive eye, a soft heart. Are you ready to hear the voice of God? That still, soft whisper as he speaks to you of things you need to change, of things you need to celebrate. God is at work in your life. I will be with you. That's his promise. I will be with you. And his name is peace. Look for his thumbprint as you go through your day-to-days. So first, we're looking We're looking at myself through God's eyes. And second, we've recognized God for who he is. Last, we're following through with faithful obedience. Following through with faithful obedience. You know what? Just write the words cleansing time underneath this. That's what's going on. God says, that night, okay, remember, he met him during the day. He stayed in the oak tree under the shade. He's waited all day for him to prepare this goat and this ephah of flour, right? So as he got done with all of his uh, unleavened flapjacks and he gets done with all this preparing and he brings it out to God, he says, that night, the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it. Okay, a little bit of history here. Baal and Asherah were things that were set up. You typically set up very large altars to them. And you did them in spaces where you had a lot of room. And people from all over would come to rally at those points. It's not like everybody had a Baal and an Asherah uh, altar set up, okay? So this is a unique element. This Baal and this Asherah set up at his dad's place. It says, lots of property, probably at one time a very rich guy, okay? And it was a center for Baal worship and for Asherah worship. Are you catching it? Gideon's background is worshiping Baal and Asherah. Just a little side note. How did they worship Asherah? They brought little unleavened cakes. You bring a couple of them and hand them to Asherah. You lay those out on the altar. So what does he bring to God? 452 flapjacks made out of, right? That, that's what's going on. He's saying, come on, it's different. It's bigger. This is real. He's alive. Baal and Asherah. Gideon was basically a Baalist, one who worshiped Baal his whole life. And he's now going through a transition. God says, pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it. Verse 28. Or does that say 26? 26. (laughs) And build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Build me an altar. Tear down the junk. Set up for me a place of worship. In the midst of building an altar, he says, then take the second bull and offer it as a a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you just cut down. Okay, what is the bull? How many years old is the bull? Seven. 
How many years had the Midianites been oppressing them? Seven. What's God's number typically? Seven. Oh, that's kind of neat, huh? God at work, okay? He says, seven years underneath the Midianites, I will place you there. At the end of it, I've got a bull I already raised him. Don't worry, he's coming along. He'll be seven years old. Take that bull, that very one who was born in the year that the oppression started and use him as a sacrifice offering to me to say, it's done. I am giving my life to you. You were the holy, holy, holy God Almighty who I have just found to also be peace and relationship. I am tearing down those altars of worthlessness and I am setting up an altar to God Almighty. We will praise him. That's who Gideon is. And that's what he's called to do. Verse 27, so Gideon took 10 of his men, servants, and he did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to this day, to do it by day, he did it by night. Okay, a little parenthetical. He's getting bold, but he's not totally bold yet. And there's much more of the story that goes on with Gideon as he starts to build up muster, okay? At first, he does it by night, but he's still following through. And here's what he's following through to do. He's following through to tear down the things that don't honor God. He first starts looking at himself through God's eyes. You are with me. He second starts to learn the character and nature of God. You are peace and you want a relationship with me. I am awed and I am stunned. And he third, he follows through with tearing down the junk that's in his front yard. What's in your front yard? What needs to be torn down? What's in my front yard? What needs to be torn down? We need to keep it clean. Cleansing time before the Lord. You know, this week I was talking with uh, an individual who was wrestling with a relationship with their father. And there was some things that had gone on and, and it had created kind of an awkward scenario between the two of them. And he ended up getting on the phone and calling his dad and saying, I just want to apologize. I just want to say I'm sorry. Here's some things that went on that I need to apologize for. And he wasn't sure what God was going to bring. Was God going to bring the heat through this or what? And this man gently responded in thankfulness and kindness as he said, don't worry, I forgive you. And the peace and the warmth and the excitement that he felt as he went after reconciling a relationship, as he went after tearing something down in his life, he began to experience at that moment something that for the last period of time had really been bothering him. And he said, and I quote, I never realized how one sin could hold me back from experiencing the passion and the peace and the relationship with God. I have never had a more vivid experience than to realize it's all got to be clean. That's where I'm at. What, what a great message for all of us. It's not halfway clean or almost all the way clean. It's all the way clean. That's where we need to be. As we go before him to cleanse, my question for you is this. What is it that you need to be following through with in faithful obedience? 
following through in faithful obedience. That third point. What is it that you need to be stepping up and pulling down in order to set up a respectful, worshipful time with God? Is it family? Is there something that you're not doing in your family or that you are doing in your family that needs to come down? Is it finance? Misuse of time or money are big ones. How are you doing with the internet, with movie selections? We've got to keep it all clean. It's time to say, thank you. You see, that's the key here is Gideon was not trying to earn a relationship. God did not say, I am peace tomorrow. Right now, what I need you to do is pull those things down. And after you do that, then we'll see. We'll see where you stand. That's not what went on. He said, I am with you and I am peace. Now in a thankful, in a thankful offering, tear it down. It's our way of being able to say, thank you, Lord, for what you've done. I am amazed with who you are. Thank you for coming into my life as a righteous, holy God and offering a peace relationship. May I tear down whatever needs to be torn down to show you honor. That's our choice. That's our privilege. It's not about a legalistic earning of a relationship with him. It is about a passionate thankfulness for what he's already done and been. That's what we get with God. What are you tearing down? Let's go to prayer. And as we spend a little bit of time in focused prayer, the worship team's going to come up. They've got a song they're going to sing for us and over us to help us in the midst of contemplating what we're giving up. Let's go to prayer. Father God, I just pray right now for each of us. Give us insight, Lord, and passion to what you would have us to tear down. What needs to come down in my life? Teach us and train us. May we take these next few minutes, Lord, to consider how we can look at ourselves through your eyes, how we can recognize you for who you are. I am as peace. And in the midst of having this privileged relationship with you, help us to figure out what it is you want us to cleanse first. What comes down? Take some time with God alone to offer yourself up right now.